Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Gabe Malika is our guest today. Hello, Doug. Well, that leaves no surprises. Hey, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's even listed on the show listing, so I think people know. uh, That's why I'm saying let's just get it out of the way right at the top since people already know. I mean, we could start saying surprise guests this episode to get people to click on it, but I don't know if that would work. Gabe is a dude I just met because he recently made his Doug Loves Movies debut and he, uh, spoiler, the app's out, so he won the uh, episode. So he is a Doug Loves Movies champion and, uh, you know, that's a great excuse to ask somebody to do this show. <laughs> consolation, or not consolation prize. Added no. bonus prize. Bonus. Prize. No, I didn't ask the losers. I asked the winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got a one man show in New York City that he's been, uh, you know, promoting, trying to get the word out about. So we'll talk to him about that. And then also Malika. Have you ever heard of someone with the last name Malika? I have not. We've had a Gabe on, but definitely nothing even close to Malika. Wait, unless who we've is had the a Gabe? Monica. Uh, Gabe. Oh, God. we talked about if he oh god god john gabris no so yeah not a game it's the first game (laughs) i had gabe in my head john gabris gabris that's hilarious i was like i think it's because it's like his handle is gabris so i had gabe yeah exactly i guess we'll try to hopefully we'll get a chance to ask gabe about that and uh Lots of other stuff. Let's go to work. Hey there, Gabe Malika. What's going on, Dougs? How's it going? <laughs> Oh, pretty good. I, uh, as I understand it, you haven't met Doug Mellard before, so uh, say hi to each other, fellas. It's nice to meet hi. you, Doug M. Love an love an M last name. You're starting off strong. An M last name with two L's. We got a lot in common, Doug. I oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're already breaking it down before. Sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's uh, I, I, I like it. I, you know, you came to play, and I appreciate it. Um, how are you? 
I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. I, uh, I I recently left my my job working with young children to teach them how to write college essays. And so I'm, I'm I guess I'm a comedian now. And with that comes the stress of like, oh, I got to sell tickets. So like I've become a businessman, which is not why you become creative. And so it's I'm adjusting to that. You know, it's a whole new world for me. Oh, OK. So. How did you like that was really your full time job is teaching kids how to write these essays? Yeah, I had a job in a library in a high school and it was great because I could just sit there all day and they would come to me and ask for help. But I didn't have to give grades. So like parents never like complained to me because I was just like this free resource for their kids. But it kind of just became a, at a certain point. It's just like unsustainable to have to go into work five days a week. And I was and the show, my solo show, which is running off Broadway, like kind of took off. Uh, after being on This American Life. So I was like, it's time to quit. So I, I took the plunge. And so far, not great, but we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing that happens is, uh, you know, the ticket sales are, uh, you know, it's tough. It's uh, I had an off-Broadway show that ran for a year. And by ran for a year, I mean struggled for a year. Yep. <laughs> oh, like... Doug, this is amazing. Yes, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did it eight times a week. And, oh, my um, goodness. But we would, uh, you know, there was three of us in the show, and um, we would, uh, you know, take breaks here and there. And, and then one of the guys, like, just bailed completely. So then we had, like, um, you know – uh, understudy is not the really right word for it, but just replacement, replacement killers, just these really funny New York uh, comedians and improvisers that we would just rotate in uh, to, you know, fill in the extra seat. And um, so there was a lot of uh, variety to it over the years. So I, I, I didn't get too bored, but the um, constant having to try to, and this was pre like Twitter is, was a thing, but it wasn't really that big of a thing. You know, it wasn't, that uh, much of a promotional platform at that point, I don't think so. Uh, basically, we're just like, you know, trying to get people to come out just, uh, you know, any way we could, you know, mostly just cruising around New York, you know, just whenever we're out, just telling people about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Word of mouth is still the oldest, best thing. What is uh, your show called? Let's start with that. Uh, it's called Solo. Uh, and the premise of the show is I come out on stage and I say, uh, I turned 30 this year and, uh, I figured out, and I learned about myself that I don't have any friends. So it starts off in a, like a kind of dramatic place, but it's more, <laughs> it's, it's like super fun. Like, I'm like, I have these bros and they love Adam Sandler movies and we hang out when we watch those and we throw stuff at each other's balls. And like, you kind of like, it devolves <laughs> into this like other thing. Um, and actually there's a big movie element to it, which is that my friend Nick has this very famous in our world ranking of adam sandler movies and without giving too much away at some point in the show you get to see his list and it's very controversial people will email oh. complaints about his sandler rankings <laughs> that is wild because like i guess it just makes sense that people he's made so many and he's been so popular for so long that everybody probably has a different favorite and I mm -hmm. think most people would be really offended if Happy Gilmore isn't number one. Yes. Yeah. He's a Billy Madison. <laughs> I think he's Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, too. I'm a wedding singer <laughs> at the top. I think that's the one with the most heart with also the jokes. Yes. Yes. Um, 
Yeah. But also just he's made so many over the years. It's funny that like the ones that have been around the longest or the, you know, t- tend to be the ones that we cling to. Of course. Of course. You know, because we saw him at, at a certain age or whatever. On VHS. Yeah. When they were, I mean, Sailor movies were meant <laughs> to be watched on VHS. And now I think they're meant to be watched on cable. You know, I want to watch Big Daddy with my mom on USA Network at three in the afternoon. <laughs> Have you seen this thing that Comedy Central does, which is, you know, they don't hardly produce any comedy anymore, but they also, uh, when they show a movie, they call it movies with breaks. Like they try to sell the idea that aren't you tired of streaming and DVDs where you can just watch something uninterrupted? Isn't it nice every five or six minutes to have three minutes to kill? It's literally they're pushing it that way. They're really trying to Man. sell you on the idea that, that you like it. And you know what? I kind of do because <laughs> it gives you an extra level of not having not having to be so focused. Like you can watch them like these streamers now, like uh, Tubi and Pluto and stuff, these free streaming places where you could just watch such a huge catalog of movies and TV shows. Uh, you know, the commercials, it's it's sucks, but it's also like it does, you know, give you a little uh, a breather here and there so you don't feel like you're just sitting and watching you know you're, you're not a couch potato you can like get up and you know hand vac a room for a few minutes to, you know <laughs> and then go back to see what's going on with with happy or billy or whoever uh i i'm now i'm fascinated by uh this adam sandler list i uh, know <laughs> it's a very popular part of the show. People really get fired up about it. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Um, do you meet and greet after the shows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's the number one thing they people talk to you about while you're meeting them is, is Nick's what list. was wrong with the list. Yeah, they're like, Uncut Gems is 10. That's a disgrace. And, and Nick's like, where you want to put it over the comedies? Like, Nick will get fired up about it, too. Um, <laughs> And he comes to the, a lot of the shows. So sometimes people will be like in the middle of like berating me about this list. I'm like, he's right over there. Like you can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Go bother him about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that I, Uncut Gems at number 10 is perfect because Adam is great in it and it's a great movie, but it's not, you know, it's definitely a departure in, 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 a, in some ways, you know, yeah. especially because it is more of a drama and, and there's serious you know his life is on the line in a way that it isn't in, in uh you know don't mess with the zohan but um <laughs> oh that's number one for sure <laughs> so i make a joke about it in my show nick has it as number seven and i'm like that's way too high <laughs> oh boy <laughs> <laughs> i mean that movie every time i see a few minutes of it it makes me laugh so hard but then i think this is a whole movie of this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, like like the way Zohan talks and the way he fights people and the uh, it's just all so uh, so crazy. And you know, you have to be at his level to even get something like that made, I would think. Cuz yeah, everyone would just you like what? He, he he tickles somebody's face with his t- toes? What are you talking about? <laughs> An insane movie. Um okay, so uh how did you come up with the title solo? Like, was that, were there other titles that you were thinking about or was it always solo just because it was about being, being uh friendless? So the main story of the show is about like a love triangle and like a friendship breakup. So like I broke up with my best friend when we were like 22, 23. 
And so, so at the beginning, I called the show the whole thing because I was like, here's everything. Here's what, here's what happened. And then I started calling it a show about friendship because people would come up to me and they'd be like the girl character who's like in the love triangle. They'd be like, oh, she sucks. And I was like, it's not about her. It's about the friendship. So I was like, if I call it a show about friendship, people won't be misogynistic. And I was wrong. <laughs> people still came up to me and they're like, the girl sucks. I'm like, she's barely in the show. It has nothing to do with her. Um, and then we came up. My cousin Devin is a comedy writer. He, he works at The Daily Show. And he had seen the show like in every iteration. And when we opened off Broadway, he was like, I think you need like a snappy one word title. And so we came up with Solo, a show about friendship, just to kind of like contain all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the nice thing about like I've been working on this like since I started comedy I knew I wanted to do solo shows so like I was doing going to open mics doing like jokes about rice cakes and being like how does this fit my narrative <laughs> which is like not common. <laughs> most people are like I'm gonna do stand-up for 10 years and then pivot and I kind of knew right away uh, so it's been kind of like a long process but so th- one more thing to answer your question is for a long time I called it um the whole thing and then like the first time I ever went on stage and was like this is a show about how I don't have friends like I just was like testing it out and there was a journalist in the audience in Winnipeg who was like this is he reviewed the show and gave it a really nice review he was like this is a show about a man with no friends and so a part of me was like I guess this is what the show's about <laughs> like I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes it takes the critics <laughs> yeah to tell you what your show's about yeah <laughs> I learned I learned my show was about marijuana uh, when it got reviewed. Uh, prior to that, Marijuana Logs was about three, just about friendship. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it was three friends who got together and, and did a show. So I guess it is it is ultimately about friendship. But yeah, um, it's always about other things. Where did you do it? Your show? It was at a place that is no longer. Uh, it does not exist anymore, but it was on Seventh uh, and uh, uh, kind of near Chris, between like Christopher and Morton, and it is um, it was called the Actors Playhouse, which cracked us up when we three stand up comics <laughs> get an off Broadway show off the ground, and it's and it's in a theater called the Actors Playhouse. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. James and, Lipton's at every show. Just yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had, you know, it was really, it was an amazing, uh, you know, I often call it one of the best years of my life just because it was just, even though the grind of doing it eight times a week was uh, a bit much sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. it was just still everything else about being in New York and like just being like in New York and going, I'm in a show that's at this place, you know, and like, and Seventh Avenue had a huge pot leaf on the on the front of the theater, which was like, you know, this was uh, early 2000s. So this was kind of a, you know, kind of, it was kind of groundbreaking and also shoving it in people's faces that were, that are uh, anti-pot, you know. And yeah. um, it's transgressive. Uh, yeah. But it was, um, I don't think we closed that theater, but then the next, so <laughs> like one or two, one or two shows after that. And now, Last time I went there and I actually went in and looked around just because I was just curious how they how they structured it, and what it looked like inside, because yeah. it's just like kind of a you walk in and there's steps to go down and then it's just sort of like a little theater in a in kind of a basement setting. And, um, uh, uh, I, you know, last time I went to check it out, it was a, a, a gay bar with a uh, like sort of a country western theme to it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but before we were before we were there, there was a show called oh, what was it's called like Naked Men Singing or something like that uh-huh. that I think is still running somewhere. But that show had been running for a long time before we came in, so so that was also a weird shift to like just have three dudes sitting there talking about pot uh, yeah. instead of the naked singing guys. <laughs> Because it, yeah. it had run for a couple of years, I think, before, and, then, and and it was losing steam. So that's when we were able to uh, to jump in there. But it was just interesting in general, the process of like going around and trying to find a theater. Because we had this thing that, you know, that people thought could be a hot popular Broadway show that we had toured around to theaters and comedy clubs and stuff. And uh, but then just like figuring out the space that we were going to do it in and then dealing with the... Uh, uh, the issues that uh, that particular space gave us like for one thing uh there's no back exit to the theater so backstage we we would have to go and get backstage before they open the house and just stay there until the show starts and then go back there when the show is over and wait for the whole audience to leave and then we'd come <laughs> out but, but it was still just weird oh my god it was just weird to be stuck back there uh you know <laughs> But also, I do I do believe in the magic of theater. Like I, you know, stand up comedy is fine for audience to see you standing around or walking around before the show. But if you're seeing a a show, Broadway, off Broadway, whatever, if you're seeing something like that, to just see the people that are in it just walk down the aisle and go backstage, is just uh, it's cheesy. I don't, uh, you know, I, I like the professionality of uh, being there and ready to go. But also, so Gabe what do you do are you there before your show like what do you show up like a half hour early yeah i've been showing up a little bit earlier because we there's a lobby there's a piano in the lobby and sometimes i'll just like bang out a couple chords and just like clear my head a little bit before people show up um and it's a pretty casual thing like sometimes i'll wear a t-shirt you know um but it is theater you know and so i kind (laughs) of what i like about it is like Hey, this is New York theater. And also like, we're going to talk about Adam Sandler lists and I'm going to be drinking <laughs> a diet soda on stage. And like, it's going to be pretty chill. So I lure, I lure them in with cat with like, this is casual. And then suddenly before you know it, sometimes people end up like crying or like having a moment. And I'm like, that's my favorite thing where you did not expect oh, wow. just to like flip on its head a little bit. Because of the Adam Sandler list. Yeah. Because they're <laughs> that's what gets them crying. <laughs> <laughs> Little Nicky's too high. <laughs> you cannot be too high to watch Little Nicky. I say <laughs> you can get as high as possible. They should put that quote on the uh, on the DVD, Doug. The Doug Benson bump for Little Nicky. <laughs> cannot be too high. Have you ever? Uh, so was there ever a night where, like, partway through it, you were like, "Oh, this is, I shouldn't have worn this this outfit." Like, um, or are you always just like, whatever I wear is fine because it's not about the clothes. For off Broadway, I, my my attire's gotten better. I uh, I've I've, but for years, like I, at the Edinburgh Fringe, like I did it like basically standing on a piece of wood that like would creak. So like there was not a lot of moving <laughs> around. So it's like I can wear like a t shirt that I from a summer camp that I worked at. This is fine. It kind of adds to it. Um, nowadays, um, it's a li- like mostly button downs like i try to be like you paid 40 dollars. like i'm gonna put on a show um but i mean like that's one of the fun things too about the show's evolution which is for years it was just me talking into a microphone and now i'm doing it in the space where there's no mic 
and there's like graphics behind me. So there's like 140 cues in this Q lab program and like trees pop up when I'm in the, when I'm at summer camp and Stephen Sondheim's face comes up when I talk about my relationship with him. So like, there's a lot of, it's become theater in this like fun, new, exciting way where just like you were saying, like even, even your show where you're like, Oh, it's three guys talking about marijuana. That's like, no, no, there is a little bit, you do want to have some professionalism to it where it feels like a real thing. Yeah. We basically just, you know, stole the format of uh the vagina monologues so <laughs> you know so we were able to just you know sit on stools and just wear all black and um you know the, the vagina monologues they were barefoot so we did it in, with our socks on and um <laughs> and you know the first few pages of the script is literally just changing the word vagina to pot and um <laughs> But then that, you know, the parody aspect of it goes, you know, you can't maintain that through the whole show. Plus, we weren't there to make fun of the vagina monologues. It was more just a, you know, New York theater, you know, catch all that like people kind of understood what it was mm -hmm. just from the uh, the title. But we did a we went to Toronto with a director, um, very talented guy and did a week of shows with what you're talking about with like visuals to support what we were saying. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a week of doing that, we scrapped it because it just, it, for that show, it didn't add anything. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if you're doing standup, you know, cause it's essentially standup comedy with yeah. three people doing it all at the same time. So, it, it, you know, imagine standup comedy where you talk about anything and an image of it comes up behind you that just gets to be like uh overkill you know yeah uh, unless the images themselves are funny so what we did was uh at the very end of the show there's a reveal of a huge pot field behind us that was like a actually built into the set like it was looked huge you know it was a depth of vision thing but uh this this pot field would appear behind us and that was our big uh most theatrical moment in the show sure um uh, what okay so i'm fascinated by uh, uh all of this did you um did you look for how did you find your space that you're doing in? what what's the name of the theater where you're performing in now so now we're at the Connolly theater upstairs um on fourth street and it's between avenue a and b and it's a cool space. It actually, the Connolly Theater is this like bigger space um, that like Kate Berlant just had her show there. And they've had lots of like big concert series and stuff like that. And for my space is what was formerly known as the Metropolitan Playhouse, which is like it's this little black box. And when I was looking, so we ran for 48 shows at the Soho Playhouse on Van Damme Street. Mm -hmm. um, and that was last year. And that was like a co-production. So literally, like I didn't have to risk anything. We just like split all the ticket sales. Which for a like unseasoned, certainly a year ago, unseasoned off-Broadway person, that was great. There was no risk um, for the most part. Um, but when we got on this, we got on this American Life, and there's an episode about my show, episode eight ten, and we were like, oh, we gotta reopen after this American Life. It gets such a big bump, and so we found this space, the Connolly Theater, and it seats like sixty five, and it's so intimate, and like it's three people are on three sides of me. And so I find myself like uh, like running around the stage a little bit just because like everyone's like right on top of you. And it's created this. It, the show feels different. The show feels new because like my pacing has quick has quickened because you can see people's faces so clearly. And I'm like, oh, I don't want them to get bored. <laughs> so I need to start running. Uh, and so it's become this cardio thing where I'm like, I'm tired after this. 
It's like a comedy works in Denver. Yeah, it has that vibe. <laughs> right on you. Yeah. Yes, yes. I've I've never I've seen shows there. I've never performed there, but I know that feeling. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they're just like they're the some people are like in a pit right in front of you, mm-hmm. but then on your left and your right, people are at your level and higher. Yeah, uh, at comedy works, and it's really and it and it's a basement situation. So like the laughter there is just uh, explosive. Like shout outs. Shout out to the Comedy Works for being oh, uh, so good. Yeah, one of the better clubs out there. But um, could you do? You, could you take this show to uh, comedy clubs? Could you? Could you reverse engineer it at this point? You know, we were more looking for. So I've taken it on the road a little bit, and we're more looking for like improv spaces are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, little tiny alt theaters, that type of thing. Um, I can do the show. It's funny you're talking about like the the marijuana field at the end where it's like I've done this show in every version possible. So like I could do it with no visuals now. I can also do it with like a Google Slides where there's like 12 slides and it's a piece of cake, whatever. Then I can do the Q Lab version, which is like the full theatrical version. So it's kind of like where capitalism comes into play is like, oh, you got to figure out what kind of gig is this? You know, is this like Mm -hmm. let's do it as cheap as possible? Because when I do it on the road now, I got to bring a tech. I have to have somebody like set it up for me and pay them. And when you're not like this massive draw, sometimes you have to start doing calculations. I'm like, how am I going to make this work? Um, But now I own my own projector and I own the program (laughs) that can run the show. So in theory, I could start running it myself from the stage. Um, So we're going to see. We're like running into new problems, but. I love doing the show. Like I'm doing it seven times a week now and I'm just like not sick of it. Like I'm just like very happy to do it. Um, so that's nice. Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, I'm after a year, I'm sure you were like probably done with it. Um, well, the the issue was the parts that I, the parts where I just have to sit there and listen to the same thing every night. Sure. You know, oh, yeah. that that's the part I didn't like, you know, as much as I like the other performers, that's why I was saying it, it did, it did become, uh more not more fun but just you know kept me on my toes more when we just started bringing in like improvisers to play the third part who you didn't necessarily know what they were going to do you know this and that was the other thing is we the the vagina monologues gave us this great opportunity where you know that show was always performed by just different you know like there's no women that were like in it for a long period of time you know like the cast would would shift all the time or they'd put it on somewhere and they'd have three famous women do it. So it was kind of already set up that we could just, you know, sit there and not have to memorize it. I mean, of course we did eventually because it was, you know, we just knew it so well, but you still, you could still turn the, turn the pages as you go and just know exactly where you are, especially when you're someone else is talking, you could flip ahead and see what your next bit was going to be. So, and then, so that was like, that worked out great for us. But what you're doing, it sounds like, like how often do you go off your own scripts? Is some of it improvised or is it all pretty much the same? I'd say one of my strengths, I have a few weaknesses. One of my strengths, though, is I try to be very present and not make it feel like I'm reading off the teleprompter in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I, I will riff and I will kind of like comment on stuff just to kind of be like, we're all in this room together. Like, I'm not just like this guy, especially now that people are on top of me, where it's like, if you start reading off the teleprompter, people are going to be like, this guy's like a phony. He's just like talking. Um, But I want it to feel like very, very casual. Um, 
And so, yes, when, and, and I'll improvise like the, the, we did it 48 times at the Soho Playhouse and on show 46, I like riffed the best joke in the show. And that's in the show now. And it's like, wow. oh, okay, you keep finding stuff, you know? Absolutely. We kept tweaking it all the time and, you know, just adding whatever we felt like adding and, and kind of fucking around with each other and stuff. And, you know, there is always we'd always have arguments about what, when there was too much of that or when there wasn't enough of it, you know. But mm. has this ever happened? Like, so especially now that you're doing it, you're performing it seven times a week. Do you get an audience sometimes that will just like uh, a joke that absolutely works consistently <laughs> will suddenly just get nothing? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Isn't that I, weird? It's one of the weirdest <laughs> things in the world. And I know the reason because it's a joke about um, my bros came to see. I would invite them to see me in musicals in high school. And they were very confused when I switched from musical theater to straight plays. And they're like, why was there no singing and dancing in that show? And I was like, the diary of Anne Frank. And then the tag <laughs> is you can't be tapping. The floors are thin. And it's a joke about there's no Anne Frank musical, right? How crazy right. it would be. Basically, and, yeah. But there's something about New York theater people where they're like, I don't know if I can laugh at this. <laughs> and so like it, that'll happen like on the road. That joke kills. People are like, hell yeah. Anne Frank musical joke. Awesome. And every once in a while, every fourth show in New York, I'm just like, I can kind of tell, oh, they're not going to like this one. Um, <laughs> That's so funny because like I, I find that theater audiences everywhere and in New York tend to be like just a little bit more open minded than your, you know, your John Q, uh, you know, like comedy club attend attendant or whatever. Oh, for like. Sure. You know, like they're definitely there, but there are still lines that can be crossed. And but. But, you know, how, how how often can you cross them too? like sometimes a joke that's potentially going to be offensive? If you've said it a million times, then you don't even have a it's not there's no spark in it from you. So mm. then they can then that can kind of make them, you know, sort of turn on it. Okay. Yeah, uh, totally. I feel like but that's a weird thing. Now, I know we're not here to talk about musical theater, but <laughs> Uh, I thought of a couple of things so far in this conversation. And the first one is, do you, are you familiar with, uh, you've seen uh, book of Mormon? I have. Yeah. I saw it in London. Okay. So probably a few years ago. Yeah. Like 2015. I saw it. Yeah. So you, you saw it before they decided recently to clean it up. Really? Yeah. They've removed the most offensive joke in the show. I, I don't know if it's from all productions or if some still do it, but I know that uh, that I read somewhere that also could have been they could have been lying to me. But the story was that uh, this, you know, one thing that happens in the show, I guess I could say it because, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we don't have any rules on this show, but it was a joke <laughs> about. Remember that there's a it was even a running joke where the one uh, really uh, horrible character, who you know, ends up being a nice guy in the end, I guess, uh, keeps talking about fucking babies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They took that out now. <laughs> wow. That's huh. At one point they just went, you know what? This is too much. But okay. I, you know, I saw a touring version of it a few years ago in L.A. and it was still in there, but uh, they removed it. And I I can't say that it bothers me because I I always thought, oh, that's too far. That joke, you know, like sure, I get sure. it. But 
you know, it was from the guys that made you South Park, you know, of course. So they got to do something that's too much. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. They got to step over the line. But it's interesting that now all these years later and that apparently no pushback from Trey and Matt to do that. Or maybe it was their idea. I don't know. Yeah, but, that's interesting. Uh, Comedy that came weird. out during the Obama years. I don't know. I feel like people were just like, like a lot more was okay, especially with Broadway. Like Avenue Q was around like a Bush era, like political satire. <laughs> and there's definitely things in yeah. that, that like haven't aged super great. Yeah. Like in the way that comedy works now. And <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure I hate to be cynical about it, but I'm sure it's a capitalistic thing where they're just like tourists are seeing this. Like people from Iowa come to New York City at this point to see Book of Mormon. And yeah. like, it's not and like it's, the New Yorkers are coming anymore. It's probably yeah. the, like the number one complaint they were getting for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. So they finally just went, why do we even need this? You know, if yeah. they're not laughing as much at it anymore, you know, if it's become strangely more offensive somehow, then why? You know, because it is such a fun light show for the most part, you know, mm -hmm. so it is uh, it is wild. Um, OK, one more thing about musical theater that I'm going to ask you after the break, because we have to take a, a commercial break and get some uh, ads in so that people can take the, that time to go uh, hand back a room in their house. And uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We are back and I am obsessed with musical theater, going to New York in a few weeks actually and can't wait to see... Um, not only the Sondheim's biggest flop ever has been uh, uh, brought back, but also the show he was working on when he passed away is uh, happening as well. So I've already got tickets to both of those. Oh, amazing. Uh, what night are you coming? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. You're famous. <laughs> I'm doing... <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing, I live in uh, Astoria, Queens on 29th Street. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I do offhand which dates I bought tickets for, I wouldn't mind saying, you know, because it's like sure. I hardly ever get anybody bothering me at a theater in New York. And when they do, it's just delightful because it's always somebody being like, hey, are you Doug Benson? You know, like they're just kind of like, yeah, so I, I don't know how people are so surprised to see me there because I I've talked about how much I love it for yeah. so long now. <laughs> But um, I'm doing a show called the Benson Movie Interruption at the Gramercy Theater on November 26th. So this is uh, all this is going to be before or after that. I'm going to be in town for uh, a little bit. And um, but I wanted to ask you, since you brought him up, uh, if you can tell us how Stephen Sondheim uh, fits in, into your uh, solo show. Yeah. So I love Sondheim. I was obsessed with him as a as a kid. Um, and in high school, mostly, uh, is when I really got into him. And I talk about in the show how when I was in high school, I, I wrote him this like giant letter 
um, basically just being like, you're so important to me. Like these musicals matter to me a lot. And I found his address on a Broadway blog and I sent him this gigantic letter, like two pages, double spaced, huge. And then I forgot <laughs> about it and I go off to college and I'm trying to decide, like, do I stay at college? Do I move home? Like, am I comfortable? Am I doing all right? And one day I check my mail in the mail center and there's nothing in there. And I go to leave and this woman says, oh, my God, I've had this package for you forever. And she shows me this package and inside is like a, a signed headshot from Sondheim and a letter that he wrote me on personalized stationery and written on a typewriter and hand signed. And, oh. and yeah, so that like, was his thing. I, he's lots of people have those. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a whole Instagram account that and they actually just shared my letters um, for the first oh, time. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's this cool thing. And so for years or for the next couple of years, like I would write letters to him. I have like five or six letters from him um talking about his musicals and i was a music major so like i was studying like how they work and how they're constructed and all that stuff but it occurred to me at some point that the reason the letter never made my mailbox is because the return address that i gave him was my parents house but in the ps of the letter that i wrote him i was like hey i think i'm going to study music at hamilton college which meant that he read the whole letter saw where i was going to college looked up the address and mailed it there which is why he didn't have my mailbox number and i almost never got the package and so it kind of just like proved to me it's like oh this guy is like reading your letters like he is going in depth <laughs> into like what these letters say Whoa. um yeah it's and so over the next couple of years like you know these are really like prized possessions of mine and yeah sometimes it's just like for me i'm a merrily i'm a company merrily sunday in the park with george um into the woods those are like my like core kind of four um with love to sweeney todd and, and some of the other ones too but um yeah i mean i love sondheim and it's a nice little touch in my show i think because it's like here's a sandler movie and here's like a, a few <laughs> irreverent jokes and then it's like and here's these letters i got from sondheim <laughs> like it's <laughs> kind of sweet <laughs> really something for everybody in there that's what i try uh, to say yeah there's a joke yeah. for everybody <laughs> But also the New York theater crowd, uh, you know, that's it's just great. It's, a, you know, the timing must be great because because of this, it's not even a resurgence in interest in his work because this this huge hit production of Company happened while he was still alive. Mm -hmm. And and he had some input and, you know, and, and uh, you know, apparently he loved it. Um, but anyway, we I, I could, uh, you know, I could do a whole hour just on this particular topic but uh Same, you know, i want to do a whole sondheim podcast <laughs> it's like my favorite. i mean there's got to be some already right there's already got to be some people out there especially like on youtube or something that's probably just get together and and talk sondheim yeah i got i did a, a pod with renan hirschberg we did an episode about sondheim oh that's cool i didn't know he was into it yeah yeah he does solo shows and they love sondheim so we became very fast friends Oh my God. I have so many friends in New York that when I bring up theater, they're like, I don't go. I don't pay attention to it. I don't care. I don't like Times Square. I don't like crowds. I don't like tourists. Like they're yeah. all just, all they do is shit on it all the time. So yeah. I'm so excited to know both you and Ronan are, uh, you know, uh, into it because I really only have, I can only talk to people who do theater when I'm there. Uh, mm -hmm. If I, if when I want to talk about theater. Uh, a friend of mine 
who I've uh, known for years and she does my podcast and stuff. Her name's Julia Madison. She mm-hmm. uh, recently uh, co-wrote the uh, music for they're making uh, death becomes her into a Broadway show. Nice. And, uh, and, and so this person who I knew just cause I saw her when she was understudying in, in uh, a production of Godspell and we became friends after that. Um, cause she recognized me in the audience, you know, and we, uh, met each other through social media after or whatever. And, uh, but I've been friends with her ever since. And now she's like, uh, it's just this huge thing that she's uh, a part of. And she's probably going to be, uh, like a Tony nominee in the whole deal. They wow. got, have you heard about this show, Gabe? I have. Yeah. Okay. Cause, uh, Doug's not going to, the names of the people they got to be in there aren't going to mean anything to Doug. But uh, <laughs> you got these amazing musical theater actresses that I love, one of whom I've managed to become friends with by being a fan. Like, I have lots of Broadway connections just by being like, hey, I don't know if you know me, but I love your work. And then yeah. the ones that go, the ones that go, yeah, I do know you. I've become <laughs> friends with, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. <laughs> but now I'm getting a lot of ones that are like, thanks. You know, they don't, <laughs> they don't really uh, pursue anything further. But uh, I'll take whatever I can get because I, I love it so much. And I'll I'll definitely uh, bother you when I visit New York next month. But we're here to talk about your name. And uh, normally we ask a bunch of warm up questions before we get into the name. But I, we're already running so late. I'll just do one <laughs> warm up question. Doug, you know which question it is. It's the first one I always ask. Do you want to ask him? What is your tattoo situation? Ooh, I, I, you know, I'm a hairy man. And... <laughs> We've never heard this one before. Yeah, this is an interesting start. <laughs> I'm a hairy man, and it just never felt like there was a place for a tattoo on me. And I'm just such, I'm a visual, I'm not, I'm a more of an auditory audio words person than I am a visual person. Um, and so they just never spoke to me, though. I think about like lyrics or um, a lot of sod time stuff where I'm like, oh, I could get that tattooed. And then I just I don't know. It just evades me. Right. Well, that's you know, that's if it's lyrics, then you got an extra big tattoo. So what, where do you have a patch that doesn't have, you know, that you could even fit it? It's true. Forehead. You got a cur- forehead. <laughs> forehead. <laughs> or what if you. Yeah. Or like, a, you know, inner thigh or something. But what if you. <laughs> <laughs> what if you did it like on your back and then for fun just shaved your back once in a while to reveal it? I've just <laughs> I've, <laughs> like a scratch and sniff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've only like recently a, like started a, shaving my back. <laughs> like a hidden treasure map. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Declaration of Independence. Now that's a Nicolas Cage movie. Where yes. on his back, he's got to <laughs> shave people until he finds it, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't want to be shaved. Yeah, by Nicolas Cage. Um, well, oh, this is interesting. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of hairy friends now that might have tattoos, and I'm like, I can't think of one. I think it's the real thing. It's it's hairy discrimination. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whenever people talk about people with hairy bodies, I immediately flash on Robin Williams and how hairy he was. Oh, yeah. No tattoos. What? No tattoos, that guy. Yeah. Wait, wait, you keep track of celebrity tattoos? 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure he had none. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did. I think he let the suspenders be the uh, most flamboyant thing about him. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations on the zero tattoo thing, because that's always the answer I'm looking for. And the answer Doug is looking for is I've lost track. <laughs> oh wow! How okay, many tattoos I have because that's where he's at. Yeah, you must. Be, you must not have a lot of hair, man. No, yeah, he's, I, he's... I, my arms are pretty hairy. <laughs> but you can see him. You can see him. Oh, so yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I somebody should incorporate the hair into the tattoo, like make it like the you know put oh, some sure. sort of hairy animal on there or something. Yeah, or like Eugene Levy's eyebrows. So like, <laughs> so your tattoo is just his face, and then <laughs> Chewbacca. He's got the greatest, greatest eyebrows. <sighs> okay, so uh, enough with this silliness. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your name. Mm. Starting with growing up, Gabe. Mm. How was that? You know. Um... As a as a young person in the suburbs, Gabe sounds a lot like gay, and that was a popular refrain. Um, you know the Gabe gay thing, which got old yeah. pretty quickly. Uh, I love my name. I like being a Gabe. I feel like a pretty territorial about it. Um, like when I meet another Gabe, I'm like, I don't know if there's room for two Gabes. You know, like I feel it's 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 usually pretty one off. So I like that a lot. Um. And it felt unique, you know, um, which I which I I also dug. Um, <laughs> Doug. Yeah, I wish I... <laughs> <laughs> Gabe is unique, which I also dug. That's hilarious. Um, my full name is Gabriel, which I also like. And there's like three women in my life who will call me Gabriel. And that's kind of it. And it's uh, is it religious? You know, my mom's like super Catholic. My dad just is like, you know christmas and easter or whatever uh -huh. um but i have a very religious name gabriel john is um very christian you know angel gabriel and john i don't know how familiar you guys are with the with the books in the bible but john is the one that's like the most like um not straightforward like the other books are kind of like this happened and then this happened and john is like in the beginning was the word and it's like oh we're in metaphor territory <laughs> Uh, and so if I had to pick a, fa I'm not very religious, but if I had to pick a favorite book, it's always John. Cause it's the one that's like, um, it's implicit or it's, it's explicitly like, this is uh full of symbolism as opposed to like plot points. So it feels appropriate. Yeah. And I'm a, and it's not Jonathan, it's Gabriel John, which I think that's very intentional. Oh yeah. Because that's the thing is if, if somebody goes the full Jonathan or even the removing the H, cause I am assuming you have the H in your John. Yes. So if people do either of those, are is that does that make it not necessarily religious? Because there's nobody named Jonathan in the Bible, right? That's a great question. I don't know. John is definitely the book. Yeah, like one of those four gospels. So, Nobody's yeah. ever like Jonathan. Clean your room, you know, because that's the only reason you <laughs> use his full name. <laughs> uh, yes, I yes, I think John. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so like the further people get away from it, I guess that is getting further away from like traditional religion, right? Like mm -hmm. John with no H or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I don't know who started that shit, but most of the Johns I know are a no H John. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's like John a, Ham. A cool, John Ham. Yeah, it's a cool West no Coast. No H. 
John Stewart, no H. That's right. Well, John Stewart picked his name. Oh, that's right. Or no, no, no. He was John Leibowitz. Maybe he didn't. <laughs> yeah, so maybe he also threw the H out with the Leibowitz. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I'm tidying up the name. As long as we're going full show business. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, so what do people do when they want to be cute with you? Like, you can't say Gaby. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, you I know, most names baby people a add a Y to the end, you know? Yes, I definitely get a Gaby baby. Um, oh wow baby. That's, that's definitely a thing that happened that's certain people oh my sense. god i mean i can only picture that like uh, by a pool in hollywood you know like <laughs> gaby baby got a great script for you gaby baby from from your mouth to god's ears doug uh um, yeah that's, that's what we're we want to make solo in a movie gaby baby <laughs> it's straight to plex um <laughs> plex original um yeah yeah people definitely say gaby baby my parents call me g um like just casually they'll be like yo g like go do this and every once in a while like when i was a kid another parent who was like trying to be like cool would like use it and we were kind of like yeah it's just the thing that we do <laughs> we like, that's not really for you <laughs> yeah and it's also like g like uh, that just seems like so, so like such a black thing to do to jump to that you know yes, yes. a bunch of white people doing it is weird <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's doable i guess and but as as uh, parents that's particularly uh cute that they're just like we named you but we don't have time for the whole yeah they're the already whole... using a nickname yeah <laughs> right and they're not going to be corny enough to call you gaby you know yes yes uh so g works but you don't you don't call them m and d do you no but but you're gonna like this my sister's name is k so i think the reason (laughs) (laughs) i think the reason they did it was just like g and k i don't know (laughs) gee i sure could use something to eat okay (laughs) oh gee oh gee I can't you can't say that either because then they're just calling you uh, original gangster. <laughs> um, Doug, I'm so this is so funny. My mother just texted me. Hey, G, just checking in. Uh, <laughs> she sensed that that was happening. That we Did were talking about. No, man, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> tell her to tell her to pour some cold water on her ears because they're probably burning. Um, oh, this is so weird. The president of Hollywood just texted, "Hey, tell Gaby Baby got a script for him." <laughs> you know the president of Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, Mr. President. He's always just gone by that title. He doesn't share what his actual name is. Yeah, <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know. Yeah, we got to try to get him on this show and get, get it out of him. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I liked, I really liked your comment about not having time or interest in other people named Gabe because that's sort of been a run, a through line of uh, Wide World of Dugs is that mm-hmm. other than each other, we don't really know a lot of Dugs, or and it always feels there's always a weird disconnect when you do meet someone named Doug because I, I always feel like they don't look like a Doug to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so with Gabe, um, how often is that like? Do you meet a lot of Gabe's? Are there are there a lot of them out there? Not really. So when you do, there's kind of I used years ago I used to be in a Facebook group when that was a thing. And the Facebook group was called Tight People with the name Gabe. And I always <laughs> liked the idea that we were just like all hanging out. 
Um, <laughs> and so I liked it at a distance, like, <laughs> like online. I was like, oh, that's cool. But when I'm like, it would happen more if like a Gabe, like another Gabe joined the choir. And I was like, there can only be one Gabe in choir. What are we doing? This is a small school. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're a reality show, you'd have to start going by Gabe M. Yeah. And I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing for other names, you know, like Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill. Yeah. Save that for the Josh. Yeah. Uh, Joe. Um, okay. So. What about famous? I I like tried to think of Gabe's I know and famous Gabe's, and I came up very short on on both fronts. Yeah, I thought of I Gabe Kaplan. Do you remember him? Uh, what 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 was Gabe Kaplan from? He no. was a comedian who uh, talked a lot about having been a teacher, and then they made it into a sitcom called Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that was Gabe Kaplan. Oh yeah. So I grew up on him, and that was a, that was a famous Gabe to me. And then, you know, uh, the well goes. Can you think of any Doug? Gabriel Byrne, right? Right. Then you get into Gabriel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just and Peter Gabriel. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, cool yeah. It works for both names. I don't think anybody has the last name Gabe though. Um, but what about you, Gabe? What it, what famous Gabe's do you know of? Um, uh, growing up, there was like a there was a baseball player named Gabe Kapler, and that was kind of the first time I was like, oh, another. Like you just never hear that. You don't hear that name a ton. Yeah. Um. Uh. Do you know Gabe Dunn, uh, the podcaster? Nuh-uh. Um. Oh. They're an LA person, and okay. I like I like Gabe because uh, Gabe is trans. And so they picked the name Gabe, but I was like, hell yeah, like, welcome to the club. Like, you had your whole <laughs> life to pick, and you went with Gabe, and like, that's sweet. If you, the type, did your... the type Gabe group. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did your parents ever give you the, uh, did they ever tell you what they would have named you if you were a girl? They didn't give me that, but they did give me that they almost named me Sal. And... <laughs> because <laughs> um, we're Italian and I just I, I need to do a bit about this but like you just turn out very differently right if you're Sal like, I think so yeah <laughs> like you can't be the Sondheim guy <laughs> like I'm fucking Sal, Sal. the Sondheim guy <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be a character I do which is just this like beefed up guy who's yeah. like yo the revival of Merrily oh man <laughs> that is so good <laughs> but Sal isn't short for something. It was Salvatore. Uh, oh, okay. My uh, my grandfather. I never met any of my grandparents, but I did have a grandparent named Sal Malika, who uh, was the proprietor of Malika Electric, a small. Uh, he was like an electrician, and he did the the lights, the the electricity inside the building that became the Bada Bing on The Sopranos. Oh. And so when my dad was a kid, he was like the assistant on that project that like put all the wiring in there. (laughs) But that's but that's like got such a nice it's got such a nice flow to it. Sal Malika. Yeah. Sal Malika. Malika like a Star Wars character. (laughs) (laughs) Just this like pudgy guy who the, the, the only thing I really I know about him is that like he taught my dad to gamble and he uh, would drive his truck and eat sandwiches while he did it. <laughs> I'm like, I sound like this guy's sweet. 
<laughs> All right. So your middle name is John. We got that. So we got Gabe, John, Malika. Have I, until I met you, I feel like I've never known or heard of a Malika. Uh, it's an Italian last name. There are other of there are more of us. I think we're mostly in like New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, the translation in Italian. My mother's an Italian teacher, uh, professor, and she um, so she like taught us all what, what all these words mean. And Malika translates to like crumbs. Um, but the other translation where it's really used is in Italian. Molica is if you have a piece of Italian bread, not the crust. But the white squishy part, that's the Malika. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had that's no choice. That's my favorite part of pudgy. the bread. <laughs> it's the best part. <laughs> I'm going to shout at people, save the Malika. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I can't do keto. That's like against my family's name. <laughs> like, it's like, it won't, it won't take. <laughs> Have, have you guys seen that movie, uh, Who's Harry Malika? No. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Harry Crumb? Get it? <laughs> That's from the president of Hollywood right there. <laughs> Sign the deal. Um, <laughs> Bubby. Well, this has been terrific, and uh, you've been a great guest. And for all of our guests of late, I have been trying to figure out an anagram of their name because I have been doing that pretty much since I was inspired by uh, Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they do so much time with anagrams, a whole song about it in that show. And then afterwards, I was like, that's kind of a fun thing to do, especially with uh, guests on a show about names. And yours is not an easy one. Like, it's also <laughs> a thing where sometimes it takes a few minutes, sometimes it takes a while. And yours has, you know, your name obviously has lots of words in it that could be used. But to use every single letter and come up with something that makes any kind of sense yeah. Uh, this is what I came up with: a glob clam lie. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I had to do a four-worder. <laughs> yeah, I might get first. Word anagram. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but if you're looking for a name for your next show, a glob clam lie might be good. You know. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I I will say, everyone's one year at summer camp, they called me Ebag. Because my name, my name in reverse, Gabe becomes Ebag. <laughs> I like Ebag. I mean, I don't also because <laughs> because of douchebag and scumbag. It just sounds like Ebag. Just sounds like a you know bad email exchange. Yeah, <laughs> he's a mean emailer. He's an Ebag. Ebag sent me this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I love hate it. I love hate it. Yeah, he's um, worse than a D-bag. He's he's an E-bag. <laughs> let's do all the details again of uh, Solo, uh, how and when people can see it. Yeah, come check me out at the Connolly Theater upstairs. We run seven times a week until October 28th. We may add a couple weeks, but don't wait. Uh, come see me in New York. Uh, if you DM me, I'll send you a promo code. And we're also doing Chicago at the Den Theater for five shows the week before Christmas, December 20th through the 23rd. So come see Solo. There's something for you in there, I promise. 
Uh, yeah, I bet you there is like a warm place to sit for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it's going to be the weather's going to be nice. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> nice and cold. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Doug Mellor, do you have any plugs? Uh, next week, I will be with you here in Austin, Texas, the Cap City Comedy Club. Can't, that's Wow, that came quick. And then a uh, week after that, I'll also be at Cap City Comedy Club headlining the Red Room uh, on November 2nd. And on November 11th, I will be hosting a gala or gala or gala gala uh, that will raise money for the Other Ones Foundation here in Austin. A great organization that helps transition uh, homeless people into work and homes and uh the hip hop group, the far side's gonna be there. The band Heartburn's gonna be there. It's gonna be awesome. Check that out on eleven eleven at the Other Ones Foundation. What about you, dude? Where, where, what venue is that at? It's it's at the Other Ones Foundation. Uh, it's called Esper. It's at Esperanza here in okay. Austin, Texas. Yeah. Okay. It just sounds like you're just evading the like you're not you know. <laughs> it's, not at the, it's not that other one. It's at the other one. <laughs> Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> the other, yeah. Okay, well, we'll plug those again next week. But in the meantime, don't, don't go, don't, come see Doug with me next week. Yeah. Don't wait until these other shows that he's got coming up. We'll, we'll replug those later after you have so much fun seeing him with me at the Cap City Comedy Club on Tuesday, next Tuesday, the 24th. Uh, it's going to be a real fun stand-up show with me and Doug and uh, Mary Santora and Rachel Wolfson, who is now, she just moved to Austin, so she's around. And then the next night, Wednesday the 25th, I'm doing Douglas Movies at Cap City Comedy uh, with John Erler, another recent transplant, Tone Bell, and uh, other surprise fun guests. There's going to be two fun shows and then um, this weekend, I should mention that I'm going to be doing Douglas movies at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington on Saturday at 420. But for all of my dates and deeds, go to douglasmovies.com. And thank you again to Gabe Malika. Not an e-bag. Totally nice guy. <laughs> go see his show. And... Um, as always, Doug has more friends. <laughs> <laughs>